Thank you, John. If you have your Bibles, please join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We're going through discipleship in the month of September. And a pastor shares this story. He says... I came to Jesus when I was in college. After I came to Jesus, I quickly looked for a church. That's a really good practice. He said, I found one, and they baptized me. After I got saved, I was on fire for the Lord and wanted to grow as a Christian as best as I could. So I went to Bible studies, small groups, church services. I had the idea that it would be really good for me to know my Bible. So as I began to know people... I was shocked to discover that people who had been saved for longer than I had been alive were at at least the same spiritual level of maturity as I was, or even less. And I had only been saved for a few weeks. After a few months, I felt God moving me into ministry, so I asked my pastor and told him, I want to do what you do. I want to grow in my relationship with God so I can be a minister someday. Do you know what his answer was? His answer was, go to seminary. He said, I was flabbergasted. My first thought was, isn't that the church's job? Aren't you supposed to teach me and train me? I was astonished that there are churches that pursue models of ministry that exclude discipleship. We were gathering and gathering. We were showing up and showing up, but none of us were growing. He concluded his remarks with this statement. He said, I didn't go to seminary to get smart. I went to seminary to be discipled because my church didn't know how to make disciples. He only knew how to regurgitate information. Friend, Central Baptist Church member, it's not a seminary's job. It's not a Christian college's job to disciple any one of us. It is our church's job to make disciples. Um, In our passage today, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Silas made disciples in the church of Thessalonica. Look with me at verse number 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Because ye were dear unto us, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be uh, chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Let us pray. God, we bow before you this morning, grateful for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we will get some of the basics down today of what discipleship looks like. I pray for those that need to grow, that our church will step in and help them grow in the relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for those that are mature, that we will seek out individuals within our church to help them grow in their faith. 
Lord, as we go about our busy schedules, remind us that you created us, Lord, you saved us so that we could go out and do the same for others. Let us reach people and make disciples of the nations. In your name I pray, amen. Friday night, we answered a pretty simple question. What is a disciple? The answer has three parts. The first thing is, is one who is committed to following Jesus. You can't claim to be a disciple of Jesus until you follow Jesus. It's very simple. Um, all you do is give up all of the things in the life that you are really striving for and then give up and take on all the things that Jesus is striving for. You follow Jesus. The second aspect is one who is committed to being changed by Jesus. Someone who says, okay, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I know that Jesus is the answer to get me where I need to be, and so I'm committed to allow Jesus to change me to be more like him. And then the last thing is you're committed to following Jesus. Um, uh, just, I'm sorry, it's backwards up there. <laughs> One who is committed to be on a mission with Jesus. Um, uh, you're saying, Jesus, I am now yours. Wherever I go, even if I have a nine-to-five, I am still on mission for you. I don't punch in. I don't punch out. I am always on mission for you. Today we're going to answer another, what should be a fairly simple answer to a uh, question to answer. And that is, what is discipleship? This may be even more confusing um, than answering the question about disciple for some people. But let's just start off with some clarifying information. Discipleship is more than just transferring information. Um, uh, our churches today, in 2023, are really good about getting information out. I mean, we have services after services. Goodness, I have preached six times this week. <laughs> There's information. Information. There's information all the time. You can find information anywhere. In the day and age we live, there is no shortage of information. We all have information. But the problem is, people have the access to it, but they still don't have growth. And there's a reason for this. Um, uh, Ted Marvin, a professor at Arlington Baptist University, said this. Um, Discipleship isn't information transfer. It's life transfer. It's us giving up of ourselves and giving it to others. Look at verse number 8. Can I prove it to you? So being affectionately desirous of you. They love these people. We were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel only. Now listen, you, you need to give the gospel too. That needs to be a part. It needs to be lived out and spoken. But look what else it says. But they gave also their own souls. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they weren't just preaching sermons. They were giving of themselves. Um, when we talk about discipleship, it is us sacrificing our time, our energy, uh, the money that we have, and investing it in other people i am going to give of myself to someone else and they can then follow jesus as they grow in the faith um, maturity cannot be defined by mere knowledge discipleship is about transferring our lifestyle to another through a personal relationship the bible teacher uh, the bible teaches us to make disciples through relationship just consider we don't make disciples by leading people to jesus that's evangelism our church should be an evangelistic church, but that is not discipleship. We do not make disciples by preaching to people on Sunday. This is corporate worship. 
This is mainly for believers coming to thank God for what he has blessed them with this week and empowering them to go out and live the rest of the week in the same manner. Um, This is not discipleship. We do not make disciples through a transfer of information. That's just a lecture. I mean, you get the same exact thing in any secular school in our country. Um, uh, Discipleship needs a personal relationship, and that's my first point this morning. The foundation for discipleship is relationship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 shows us that the Apostle Paul and others who were with them made it a point to not just preach the gospel, not just to live out the gospel, but to simply build relationships with the people in the church of Thessalonica. They were very gentle, it says in verse number 7. They wanted to be there with them in verse number 8. They bared their souls at the end of verse number 8. Paul didn't just preach and leave. He stayed and loved. Discipleship, you could define it like this, is friendship with a Christ-centered focus. If you have friends in the church and you both talk about Jesus, you have at least a foundation for discipleship. We are all called to be disciple makers. We are not called to become spiritual giants and then become disciple makers. Listen, anyone can be a friend to someone else. Any one of you can be a disciple maker. Because all it takes is becoming friendly and forming a friendship with somebody else. Listen to me. The problem with most people is that they feel very insecure when it comes to reaching out. This is a flaw in our human nature. But this also proves an important point. You can't grow into maturity as a disciple of Jesus in isolation. That is why Jesus, Paul, and other disciples developed relationships They realized they were the key. The relationships were the key to growing as a believer. Jesus was rarely alone. He almost always had someone with him. In fact, the motto for his ministry could have been, let's do this together. Friend, there's a lot of Christians today whose motto is, I don't need the church to grow. You may say things like, I can worship Jesus better on my own on the lake or in the woods than I can in church. Friend, as your pastor, you're completely wrong. Jesus made relationships. Jesus started the church so that we could make relationships with other believers. If you try to grow your faith in isolation, you're going to get cynical. If you sit at home, isolated from other believers, and you just watch YouTube all day, you will never find contentment. Can I just make a comment about YouTube? Christian, there are crazy people making videos on YouTube. Do you know where you don't need to grow your faith? YouTube. It makes people nuts. You'll become a conspiracy theorist. Do you know how I know this? Because I know some of you. You'll get jaded, discontent, and probably angry at the world that you live in. Listen, the one person that could have been a conspiracy theorist was Jesus. He knew, we talked about this Friday, I think. Um, He knew very early on Judas was going to betray him. And yet Jesus still loved and befriended and built a relationship with Judas. Come to church, be around other believers, and normalize your mind. Amen, preacher. I believe with all of my heart 
You can only grow a certain point in your relationship with Jesus on your own. God has placed a ceiling on our ability to grow in him if we're in isolation. In order to grow, we need other people. Here's what I mean, though. Listen. Right now, we fool ourselves. I mean, because we're sitting by, you know, 50 other people just in our section, right? And, and, we, and we're fooling ourselves to think that right now we're forming relationships. Sometimes, you know, we have that handshake time, and we, we go around and we say, how you're doing? Then we pass to the next person and we say, how you're doing? Friend, that's not forming relationships. We fooled ourselves to think that all because we sit in a chair and we're by other people, that we've done our community diligence for the week. That's not going to work. You know what will work? Invite some folks to lunch today. Get to know them while you're breaking bread. Invite them over to your house on Friday. Make it a taco night. Everybody loves tacos. Bring them over. Make sure you have some salsa on there, some hot sauce, and if you invite preacher, a little bit of ketchup, okay? <laughs> I mean, a taco is just a Mexican burger, right? All right. Um, you, you need that time together. In, invite them over. Go do something together. Um, uh, it's the only thing that's coming to mind. I, your, your husband has just infiltrated all of the things I think. Invite him to play disc golf and throw a frisbee around. Um, do something to get together where you can actually talk with one another. You know what will happen? You'll connect. You'll form a relationship. And if Jesus is at the center, you'll both grow together. You can't grow in isolation. Um, in verses 11 and 12, Paul's relationship with these believers was like a parent dealing with his own children. The phrase, each one of you, is emphatic, meaning Paul and his team had personal relationships, had a hey, strong rapport, with each one of these baby believers, individually. The most important aspect of discipleship isn't information. It's an intimate relationship. It's, the, uh, it's also the most neglected aspect of discipleship, especially in churches like ours. Notice a couple of words um, as we move forward. In verse number 12, he talks about exhortation and comfort. The Word, I think it might have been verse number 11. I'm sorry, verse number 11. Um, and the word translated comfort means to come alongside, like you put your arm around somebody. To come alongside in order to pour love into their heart. You get the same idea in verse 8. To exhort means to come alongside again. So we start with love, but we come alongside with instruction and insight in order to move someone along in a specific line of conduct. Start with love, and then you give information. You know the saying. People don't care what you know until they know that, what you care, uh, that you care. Um, and it's lived out in this passage. But did you notice at the end of verse number 12 what the end result was? Did you see it? That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. How did they get there? They didn't get there just by going to church. They got there because Paul, Silas, and Timothy came in and loved them and then carried them along. <clears throat> you can build a relationship with people that will exhort someone to the same finish line as verse number 12. We, we all can do this. This is not difficult to do. Let me give you an example. 
A friend of mine in Michigan shared this story. Uh, he said, I had a very active friend in church when I was growing up. I have had three people tell me that that particular friend credits me for where he is spiritually today. It is almost comical to think about, but it really shows what discipleship is all about. He said, at times, I was clueless, and there were times when I regret how I had failed him in our relationship. <clears throat> Not one time that I can think of did I ever expound the scriptures to him, at least like a pastor could, except to send my thoughts on the sermon from time to time through a message. We became friends, I invited him to church, and we went together every week. I didn't nurture him along necessarily, I didn't feel like his mentor ever. I was his friend first and most. But now he is in church only because I was a friend, believer. It's simple to be a disciple maker. There's not really a list of qualifications except being a believer and then starting a friendship. We must be intentional about building a friend relationship not a boss-employee relationship. Hear me. Proverbs 18, 24 says this. A man who has friends must show himself friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The best discipleship is mutual friendship and mutual respect. People do not respond to someone who tries to come into their lives as a mentor. Hear me. Um, there's a popular term today. You know, it's all just on guys, but it really kind of speaks to the point this morning. They don't need you to come and mansplain to them. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they don't need you to come in and preach another message. They have me for that. Come on, y'all. They have me for that. Build a relationship. Few people are in a position to successfully establish the Paul-Timothy relationship. Many years ago, can I prove it to you? I grew up in church. In fact, this happened at the church my dad was a pastor of. And there was a couple that started coming to the church that were my age. They had just gotten married. We seemed to have a lot in common, so they invited me over. The husband had a real heart for discipleship, and he wanted me to grow. The problem was his approach was like drinking mortar oil. Very hard to take. After dinner, he and I stepped outside to chat for the next couple of hours. And he tried to disciple me. I can't even remember at all what he said to me because all I could think about the entire time was, is this ever going to end? Have you ever thought that about my sermons? Don't say a thing. Come on. <laughs> I was looking at him for two hours. When are you ever going to shut up, man? I wasn't looking for a master-student relationship. I was looking for a friend. I could not wait for that night to end. And our relationship quickly faded away. Even though his intentions were good, he made zero impact. Do you hear me? Zero impact in my life. Even though I was struggling spiritually at the time, I needed a relationship more than a lecture. Notice the focus here in this passage. Notice the focus. It's individual relationships. Each one of you. Sometimes one person, other times maybe a small handful, and rarely a crowd of people. Discipleship happens best when the focus is one-on-one. -on -one. 
Discipleship can still happen in a great way when discipleship is one in a few. But discipleship is almost impossible when it's one with a crowd. Our world preaches a different message, though. Our world preaches bigger is better. In order to show that Jesus is blessing, you have to have the biggest crowds and the biggest bank accounts and the best buildings. But Jesus had none of those things. And yet Jesus, his disciples, changed the world. Our motto this month is simply be a disciple and make a disciple. We need to change our focus from thinking huge to thinking small. Relationship discipleship is the heartbeat of the church. And as such, that means that one-in-one relationships is what's going to make the church grow. Not huge crowds. Number two. The power of discipleship is accountability. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls. It says that Paul poured himself out for these people. He revealed everything about himself to them. Let me tell you, Paul had a pretty dark past. Do you know what we need for discipleship to happen? Accountability to one another. And in order for accountability to happen, the first thing we need is authenticity. We need to be able to look at other people and be honest about our own struggles and our own sins. Ain't none of us had figured this thing out yet. There's not a single one of us who is perfect here today. People put the mess in our message, right? Your life is messy. My life is messy. Um, there was an occasion that Cooper had just been born. I was now the pastor of Bible Baptist Church in Frederick, Oklahoma. And we still lived in Wichita Falls. And while we lived in Wichita Falls, I had a real good friend. His name was Keith. And I was up at church, and I invited him to come over for dinner. The biggest mistake I made, I forgot to tell Mary Lee. (laughs) And so I got home about 5 o'clock, and I walked in, and nothing was ready. I'm like, honey, where's dinner? And then... She said, well, I thought, uh, you know, you, you're a man. You can make something, you know, something like that. You know, I don't remember all the details. But I said, Keith is coming over. And let me tell you, things went crazy. Because we had a newborn, and things were not where they were supposed to be. And we had this idea that we want people to think our house is perfect all of the time. Can I just get a raise of hands? Is any of your houses perfect all of the time? Uh, we had some, oh, all right. <laughs> I'll be preaching on lying next Sunday if anybody's interested. <laughs> but, man, we began to just clean like um, crazy. I mean, we were throwing in dirty dishes into the crib. You know what I'm talking about? We're just going to hide them, put them under the blanket. Um, I think Cooper ended up in the dishwasher. I don't know how that happened. Um, but we were just throwing things away so that we could give the impression that our life was pristine. We do the exact same thing at church. We show up in our Sunday best, man. We look good, hair's nice, makeup's on. We come in looking like we have everything together. But on the inside, whew, we're a mess. Let me say it like this. There was a time when I used to like pool parties. 
Um, it was before I became a man and had a job. <laughs> and so, but now, you know, the expectation is if you're a man, you're going to take off your shirt to go swimming. But I like tacos. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you go there, and if you wear a shirt while you're swimming, it's almost like I'm, I gave up. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. It's just going to get worse from here. Um, and we went to a pool party, and so I, I took off my shirt, and I did the old man number. I went, <laughs> and I did that for what I thought was only going to be a half an hour. Because of my wife, we stayed for two hours. When I got into the car, do you know what happened? I went, <sighs> Merely, we can't stay here for two hours anymore. Man, why do I tell you this? You know what we need in church? We need people that will come in and just blow it out. Come in and be like, oh, I can be real around these folks. Do you know what will happen if one of us just goes, oh, someone else will be like, yeah, I'm struggling too. What I have found when we get a group of men together in a small fashion and one person is open and honest and sincere and authentic and they open up about a struggle they have, it's not very long until another man says, man, I'm dealing with the exact same thing. And that before long, that small group of men, that small group of men, you know how hard it is to get men to open up about anything? But that small group of men begin to grow with one another because they've been authentic with one another. And you find a person other than your wife that you can be completely truthful to. We need a space where we can be open with someone who genuinely cares about us without fear of judgment or gossip. Do you know what happens when one of us finally breathes out? Confession begins to take place. Other people will finally breathe out and say things like, I know exactly what you're going through. Too many people put on a religious mask and come to church. They try to hide their mess. Friend, let me give you a biblical principle. A hidden mess can never be cleaned. Adults hide their fears, hide their struggles. They hide their questions. They, they hide all of the stuff that they're dealing with at home. And do you know what this hiding creates? Artificial relationships with people pretending to be someone they aren't. It's honesty that creates authenticity. The, the power of accountability is seen once we're honest with our faults and sins and we work together to improve our relationship with Jesus. And so the, the second thing we must do is just simply confess. We have it on the screen. I love this verse. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall find mercy. So you could be saying, you could say it like this. The one who conceals his sin can't move forward. The one who conceals his sin can't move forward. What does that mean? I don't have a relationship to confess my sins to, so I'm always going to be hiding them. And since I'm hiding them, I've reached the plateau for my growth. 
I can't move anywhere with Jesus. I can't move further than I am right now because I have this sin literally pulling me back all of the time. Maybe the one thing that we need more than anything else is simply to find someone that we can be honest about our own faults and sins. James 5 says it like this, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now we use that in context of prayer meetings. I mean, you come on Wednesday and you'll hear a litany of things that are physically wrong with people. <laughs> All kinds of things. Um, and we use this verse for that. But that's not what it's about. What is it about? It's about when someone trusts somebody else to tell them about what's wrong in their life and the other person prays for them. What happens? The righteous person's prayer avails a whole lot in the other person's life. It's not about physical healing. It's literally about spiritual healing. The third thing is gentleness. Galatians 6 says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, a transgression, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. May I ask, why do you think everyone, including the vilest of sinners, felt like they could approach Jesus? It was because Jesus humbled himself so much. He met them with acceptance and found, they found their worth in him. And then after he had loved on them, repentance happened. The Bible actually says that it's the goodness of God that leads sinners to repentance. Jesus welcomed sinners, but his life and message changed their lives. He welcomed sinners, but he didn't allow them to remain that way. They either became disciples or adversaries. But they came to him because he was gentle and meek. The fourth thing we need is when someone does correct us, we need to have the um, fortitude to withstand godly correction. Proverbs tells us, iron sharpens iron. The last thing that we need if we're going to be accountable to others is patience. Aren't you glad God is patient? God took 11 men who changed the world from a complete disastrous mess to trophies of God's grace. But friends, it didn't happen overnight. Jesus needed about three and a half years. It took all of those three and a half years for them finally to get it. And for you and me, don't be upset with yourself or others if it takes a little while. Be patient. As you're accountable with one another, be patient with them. Where there is accountability, though, listen, there's power and there's safety. Number three, and lastly, Discipleship is an intentional investment. Notice the phrases from this passage. It says, we imparted our own souls, our labor and travail. We exhorted, comforted, charged everyone. The apostle Paul and others went to this church to intentionally invest in others' lives. They gave their time, their energy, and their money. Growth takes intentional investment. You have to be willing to invest your time, money, and energy into this relationship with the other person. We set out on purpose to grow in faith today. I'm going to memorize a verse this week. That's my intention. I'm going to read an entire book of the Bible this week. That's my intention. I'm going to text a difficult question to my pastor this week. That's a difficult, uh, that's an intention. I'm going to find childcare so I can uh, attend a small group at church. That's an intention. 
You have to have a plan in place. Well, the plan is simply to meet at Starbucks or go to eat after Sunday morning service or a morning phone call every morning, maybe all of the above. This is the way God wants it. Listen, he wants you and he wants me to take ownership of our own spiritual growth and to take ownership of the responsibility that we have to others to help them grow in their faith as well. If you're going to experience life change this year in your relationship with Jesus, you have to be intentional. Let's consider just getting healthy physically. You don't have any workout equipment at home, um, at your house, and so you spend money to either get a gym membership or buy your own equipment. All because you buy a gym membership or own your own equipment doesn't mean that you're going to take the time to work out. Anybody else? Right? In order to work out, you're going to need to be intentional about your time. Getting up early. Maybe three to five days a week for an hour or more at a time. Where's Brother Ted at? He's got a partner right now, right? He's out there? All right. Um, he, he's ready, man. He's got a partner. Lib's going to train him. Just know in two weeks, Brother Ted's going to come here, the buffest person in this church. All right. Uh, and I think they're out there. Man, just, just take some pictures. It's coming. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, you have to be intentional about what you eat in your diet. Eating healthy has, um, it must be an intentional thing because it's difficult to prepare healthy meals when McDonald's is on every street corner and uh, pizzas can be delivered to your house. It's difficult. Do you honestly think that growing spiritually will be any easier than doing it physically? Have you ever seen those bodybuilders? Man, they're just stacked in the upper body. I mean, they got the pecs, the biceps, the triceps. It looks like they have two loaves of bread on their shoulders. You know what I'm talking about? Those people. But then you see their legs, and those big old boys forgot leg day. Anybody? <laughs> Here's the honest truth. You won't grow in your faith enough from this one service a week. There's no way. Don't forget leg day, so to speak. A preaching service is only one part of a plan for growth. You need scripture and you need scripture because it provides authoritative, objective truth to govern our choices and decision making. You've got to read it and study it and memorize it and fall in love with it. You need the Holy Spirit because he empowers Christians to obey those demands that we've read in scripture as we seek to accomplish the will of God in our lives. You need the church. It opens up relationships so that you can be stronger and more mature than you were before. Because there's going to be people that know more than you do, and they can show you what the right way is to react in situations. You need personal relationships that will keep you accountable, that will give you wisdom, and provide friendship. Are you going to take ownership of your spiritual growth? Or will someone continue to abandon these spiritual tools that God has provided for us? You won't grow by accident. You're not going to grow apart from God's word. You won't grow apart from trusting the Holy Spirit. You won't grow on your own. Christian, it's time to take ownership of our growth. Be intentional. Will you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed?